Friday. It is the 21st of April, and I am pretty excited about the weekend. I'm very excited for this show. going to be a little bit different. We, of course, will talk about Thursday's action, but also look ahead to uh, to week four. And I want to try to do the last, let's say, 15 minutes or so of the show as a mailbag. I have a lot of emails that I want to get to. Good morning, Scott White and Heath Cummings. What's going on? Oh, Adam, how are you? I'm very good. I yeah yeah a little little better call Saul last night. A little Brockmeyer. Oh, yeah, man, you just had a, a a binge session. Yeah, sure did, sure did. But also yeah. also a little Mets Phillies and uh, watched a little pa- a little watched a little Paxton last night. It was, uh, it was a good night, fun night. Well, not if you owned Paxton. Might have been a little frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I know it was fun to watch him, and and I actually only watched the good Paxton. Uh, <laughs> hello, Heath. Hi. All right, we're excited. We're fired up today. Uh, look, Hector Neris got the save for the Phillies. We'll talk about that. We're going to get a little bit of a prospects report and uh, find out which prospects you need to be stashing. Carlos Martinez with another rough outing. Danny Duffy, where are the strikeouts? 22 strikeouts and 27 and a third. And it's a meter day. Drop-o-meter, legit-o-meter. Let's get to the show. I asked you guys... For draft picks that you love and draft picks that you are regretting three weeks into the season. Uh, two of each. Scott, why don't you kick us off with two draft picks that right now you are loving? Well, I think the first choice is probably pretty obvious. Mitch Hanniger? Han- Hanniger's and hot dogs, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is pretty much immediately assumed a starting outfield job in, in every league where I own him. Not not too surprisingly, but like just the fact I got him, e- even though he wasn't even, like I couldn't force him that high in my rankings, I still made sure to get him late in a lot of my leagues with that last pick just because he was a player I believed in. And even when, uh, you know, it was a league where he went undrafted entirely, I had that immediate claim when he it looked like he was making an impact right away. Um, and even though I have some concerns about um, consistency with him, if he keeps striking out this way, impact it might have on his batting average, I think the power-speed combo is legit at the very least. And I don't think he's going to slump enough that I'll ever be motivated to remove him from my lineup. All right. So Mitch Hanniger is number one Mitch on that list for me. Who's number two? Why don't we go with Heath's number one? All right, yeah, let's go to Heath. <laughs> Shaw, like you even need to ask. <laughs> well, can I interrupt you here because you, Scott says Mitch Hanniger, he says Travis Shaw. I'm sure Chris would say James Paxton. Were those the three players that you guys loved on Valentine's Day? Were those your players you loved, Hanniger, Paxton, and uh, and Shaw? I actually loved Paxton. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Hanniger wasn't. Included in that, but then I regretted it in the weeks that followed. Not that you can really regret loving Paxton. No, no. So Heath, you were Shaw, right? I don't remember it all. I'm uh, kind of a love him and leave him kind of guy. (laughs) And I, who I loved two months ago is just totally forgettable. And Chris may have been Lance McCullers. I, I think you guys really deserve a lot of credit for the, the, I don't know, sort of sleepers or breakouts that I most associated you all with are off to great starts. So, Congratulations on that. Travis Shaw Heath is going to be on the legitimeter later today, 70% owned. So we can come back to him. So Heath, who's another another draft pick that you really like as of right well, now? Well, it's probably the guy you just mentioned that was the guy Chris loved because it was funny. Chris was the guy that talked up Lance McCullers the most, but 
he kept realizing that I was always higher on him on the rankings than he was. And I got him in a bunch of our early drafts until Chris just had to draft him at a point that was well above where he had him ranked just so he could get him. I think right. Scott almost had to try to do that with Paxton at yeah, one point. Yeah. Um, so I, I would definitely say McCullers. I've got him on three or four different rosters and he has been everything I was hoping for. All right, Scott, you got a, a second one? I do. Matt Harvey, who mm. I started to hedge a little bit in the middle of spring training with him when it just, it, it, it seemed like the media kind of turned on him. Um, but then soon after that, he started hitting 96, touching 97. And I was like, all right, this is, this is going to go well eventually. It's gone better than I even imagined it to go at the time I was drafting him. And I basically have no concerns about ever starting him anymore. Would so, you guys uh, rather have uh, Jose Quintana or Matt Harvey? Quintana. Yeah, it's close. It's close. I, I'll say Quintana too. Okay. I've moved, I've moved Harvey up though, and I don't disagree that it's been an encouraging start. I just, I had him quite a bit lower, so me moving him up didn't get him to Quintana's range quite yet. All right, who are some draft picks you regret? Heath, uh, give me a couple draft picks you're regretting right now. Uh, certainly with the news yesterday, David Price, I really thought I was being clever getting him in the 10th, 9th, 10th, 8th sometimes round, and um, I don't know when he's going to pitch. Yesterday they said he had a little bit of soreness. I didn't take it to be such bad news. They were backing off a little bit with David Price. But you you have David Price. <laughs> you drafted him like every league, I think. Not oh, he's, league, but. yeah, I started the year with one DL spot in every league because I <laughs> either had Carlos Rodon or David Price. Now, Rodon was different because I took him mostly in drafts before he got hurt. So I can't really regret that. I, that would feel like, a, I mean, you can't second guess drafting a guy and then he gets hurt. So when would David Price have to return for you to not regret it? Um, Mid-May. Okay. I was thinking May 15th when I was drafting him that I was getting a really good value. That still seems realistic, I think. It, like, I didn't, I didn't take it as such discouraging news either. Good. Maybe I was just overreacting. I took it as I'm hoping I see him in June. Okay. Mm, all right. Well, uh, we'll have to see. We really don't know with David Price. Uh, Scott, pick your regret. Uh, kind of a similar situation and, uh, Rich Hill. Rich Hill is a regret. Um, I, you know, blisters, they, I kind of see them as, as random and unpredictable. Oh, the um, knuckleball but, of injuries. Yeah, <laughs> but that, I mean, obviously that's proven not to be the case with this one. It seems like, um, the friction, his curveball grip, which is, you know, very important to his success, it, it, what it creates on his finger, it just, it just keeps blistering it. So. You know, and, and there was reason to believe, you know, pretty much everybody was regarding him as an injury risk player. And I kind of took the angle of, you know what? What if he's not? How valuable is he going to be at his going rate if he's not? And already that narrative seems to be uh, a lost cause. We got an email. I'm going to try to find out who it was from. But I know the question was, should I trade Jason Vargas for Rich Hill in a head-to-head categories league. This is from Ted from La La Land. Congratulations on winning your best picture, Ted. Uh, I was offered Rich Hill for Jason Vargas in a head-to-head categories league. What would you do? I'd take it in a heartbeat. La La Land didn't even win best picture. I know. It won best picture for like I, five minutes. The joke still works. Though. Okay. Good. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I, I would take Rich Hill. Absolutely. All right. If it was a points league, I might try to hold off until Monday and execute the trade so it uh, happens after his two-start week against the Twins and White Sox. Not bad. But Not bad. Vargas is 70% owned now, by the way. Uh, okay, so uh, each of you just real quick give me one more pick that you regret. Jose Bautista. He, I, I'm not giving up on him, but he looks done. Francisco Rodriguez, I kind of saw him as a safe safety net for saves. Ooh, nice. <laughs> um, and he's, I mean, he's throwing 88. He's not safe at all. I've dropped him in a couple leagues for where, where closers are plentiful. All right, thank you. That has been uh, our thoughts on on our drafts. Wait, who do you in. regret? I regret uh, Robert Gazelman. I have him, I think, on four or five teams, at least three. Oh, don't regret him. No, he's not. You've made worse picks than that. Give us some Gregory Polanco. He just had a great start. I don't regret Gregory Polanco. He had a great start against the Phillies, right? Was it against the Phillies? Uh, And it wasn't even that great. Um, His his strikeout to walk ratio and the number of innings he has is is very encouraging. And I regret drafting Sean Mania over Jamison Tyone. That one that one hurts right now. I really like Tyone. Yeah, I'm not sure that's not going to turn out better for you in the long run. It might. Either. Look, all the things that we said, like Bautista could be fine, Price could no. be fine, Rich Hill. They... K-Rod's done. K- he's done. He's still, like, this is what he does. He struggles, <laughs> but he gets saves. Yeah, but he doesn't struggle with velocity, usually. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, uh, about your emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. I just want to say that you know, I'm very happy to say our show is growing in popularity, and we appreciate it. We really appreciate all of you listeners. I try to do my best to make sure the listeners know how important they are to the show. Uh, I read a lot of tweets and emails, team names, stuff like that. Got some team names coming up later. Um, but I, I know some people might be frustrated that we're not reading your emails. You know, I get, I've emailed five times. I haven't heard back what I think. We just get so many now. That it's a good problem to have, but I do apologize. I wish we could be a little more responsive. Uh, I'll try my best to to respond to some, you know, dur- throughout the day without reading them on the air. But I just want you to know uh, that's what's going on. All right, in the bullpen, Hector Neris got the save. He is thirty nine percent owned. Pete McCannon did not really commit to a closer. Jenmar Gomez, uh, Jenmar Gomez got thirty seven saves last year for the Phillies, and it wasn't even that good. So. 37 is not a number to, to sneeze at. That'd be great for Neris. I don't know that it'd be that many going forward. We've already, you know, about three weeks into the year. But I'm anyway, just saying what, what the potential is. And, uh, Benoit pitched the eighth. All right. So now we've got Matt Bush and Neris and Sean Kelly. And I'm not sure if I'm forgetting anybody. Uh, rank those three. Bush. I would go Bush. I, and then, well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go Kelly ahead of Neris just because of the difference in how good the team is. But, um, that's a that's a pretty tight cluster there, and all of them I think have significant upside. I I'm interpreting the Naris situation kind of like I am interpreting the Kelly situation. Um. Well, no, it's a little different, I guess. But basically, for Naris, McCannon didn't commit to didn't want to commit to a closer. He didn't want to call it a closer by committee either. He didn't want to put any kind of label on it, and. What I thought was most telling about what he said after the game was, I'll probably use Neris again. <laughs> like, it seemed like, uh, you know, Neris is clearly the favorite now. And, and look, Benoit worked the eighth, so that would suggest that too. But he just doesn't want to put any labels on it yet. It's Well, it's got to be a pain when you're in that situation and you've got three guys and two of them have already failed and you've already basically made two changes. And you don't want to say Neris is the closer, and then he has one bout outing, and then everybody's saying, who is your closer now? Yeah. And do it over and over and over again. I, 
I think I'd put Neris ahead of Kelly just because I'm more excited about what he could be if he gets the job for the entire year. And I think he will. I wasn't on the show yesterday, but the way I interpret the Kelly Coda Glover situation is they're still really reluctant to use Kelly on more than two days in a row. So they want to give themselves the option of using Glover if ever they need a closer on that third day or whatever. Um, but it, like, how often are closers needed three days in a row? I, I don't think it's it's that no, typical. It's not that often. No. Yeah. But, so I, I think it'll be okay. I think Kelly's going to be the guy at least until they trade for somebody. Uh, Kelly got the save yesterday. He gave up a walk and a hit. Glover got two outs in the eighth. Um, Bush, Bush seems to me like the most secure for now. But, uh, yeah. So so we all it's would. It's kind rank... of a funny way to put it, but yeah. I, I think he has the clearest path to a solitary role. Yeah. The, maybe the least insecure. <laughs> Like the least risky. I I don't know how to put it, but they're they're all interesting, and people just should know that Hector Neris, if he's available, you might want to pick him up. Last year he had a 258 ERA. He struck out 102 batters in 80 and a third, and he had a 111 WHIP. In fact, I was using Neris just as a reliever, just for just for WHIP and and uh, one other category in my weird seven by seven league. So you know, the, I just however you want to rank it. That's the way it is. He, Santiago Casilla, uh, pitched the ninth after Ryan Dole, Sean Doolittle, and Ryan Madsen had already pitched. Uh, he gave up a run. It was a non-save situation. Is, is he the guy, you know, we, we probably don't have to spend much time on this, but is Santiago Casilla the guy you project to have the most save chances for Oakland? Um, you, you know, when you started, is he the guy, I was going to answer there is no guy. <laughs> yeah, but I asked a better question than that. You did ask a better question. <laughs> I would guess that Santiago Casilla will have the most save opportunities in Oakland, yes. Okay. I, that does not mean that I think I, – I wouldn't put him – I'd put him behind all the other guys we've talked about. Oh, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Now let's, uh, let's talk about yesterday's standouts. I'm going to give you two pitchers that are – well, one is truly struggling. One is maybe peripherally underperforming. Carlos Martinez gave up five runs and two home runs allowed at Milwaukee. And I think we have to right now respect Milwaukee as maybe the hottest team in baseball. I think they have the most runs scored, yeah. And I think the most homers too. So. The most home runs by like thirty <laughs> percent. Okay. I mean, they're, they're just destroying baseballs left yeah. and right. Uh but this is three straight starts of less than six innings for Carlos Martinez. He has twice given up five earned runs. And remember, he started the season with seven and a third scoreless with no walks and ten strikeouts against the Cubs. And then there's Danny Duffy, who's 2-0 with a 132 ERA, but 10 walks, 22 strikeouts, and 27 and a third. It's not that bad for him. It's just maybe a little disappointing. Um, mm. Have you changed your opinion at all on Carlos Martinez and Danny Duffy, who I imagine were ranked pretty similar as, as you know, number two starting pitchers going into the year? Not really. Uh, Martinez, both this start and last start, they talked about how he's really struggling with his fastball command right now, and... And uh, it seemed like there were some hints that maybe it had something to do with him ramping up so early for the World Baseball Classic. I don't know if that's stupid World Baseball Classic. Well, I, I don't know. Whatever it, it, whatever it is, it seems like a short-term thing that every pitcher deals with from time to time, and, and they'll get it fixed. Obviously, had the eight walks in his last start. Duffy, like, I'm torn between whether to be encouraged by the start or discouraged because he's been very successful even with reduced velocity, but that strikeout-to-walk ratio. Um, in the number of innings he's pitched isn't isn't encouraging on its own. I wish that either Chris was here, which I would never thought I would say in the history of the podcast, or 
I had my computer because Chris made a good point this morning that Duffy's swinging strike rate does not match up with his lower strikeout total. So he's getting a lot of swings. He's getting strikes. a lot more swinging strikes for his strikeout total. So okay. I do think you could sell Duffy high possibly because his results have been very good and I didn't have him as a top I didn't have him in the Carlos Martinez range. I had him in a tier below that. So in a in a roto league, if I could trade Duffy for Martinez, I'd do it. Well, okay. wait. You said you could. You said there are some encouraging underlying factors. The swinging strike rate. But there are. You but could trade. You could sell high on him. Yes, like, because give... I think his peripherals would tell you he may not be a top thirty-five pitcher without the SPARP designation. You. That's how you feel because thirty-five is like Matt Harvey for you. Right. You you think that there's a chance Danny Duffy? You think Danny Duffy shouldn't be valued as a top 35? Uh, sorry, just just explain. Hey, what let, you let me let me clarify my statement. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I think if you look at the strikeout rate, you look at the walk rate, you look at the decrease in velocity, you could make a very good argument that holy crap, Danny Duffy's not Danny Duffy anymore. He's been lucky so far. I need to deal him. I don't feel that way. I'm not that concerned because of the swinging strike rate, but I still think. If I could get a guy that I had ranked in my top 16 or 17, 18 pitchers at the start of the year for him, I would do it. Okay. okay. That's well said. Um, prospect report, Scott. People have been asking, which prospect should I be stashing right now? Can you give us uh, the quick rundown and who's close to major league ready, who's worth stashing, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I write a prospects report every week, more or less, and uh, I do – list the top five to stash at that point in time and it's doesn't necessarily mean the five closest it means the five closest who i think could actually make a notable impact in fantasy um and right now that list it's actually the same as last week it's julio arias yon moncada uh cody bellinger and uh bradley zimmer franklin barreto now i don't really feel like any are that close. It's it's a stark contrast to last year. Last year at this time we had already seen several notable prospect call-ups, mostly mostly pitchers. Um and this year there doesn't seem to be a lot of noise surrounding any of those guys right now. In fact, the Dodgers seem to be going out of their way to say Arias is not coming up. So uh it's not the highest priority right now. Obviously in in the kind of leagues, you know, if I could Reverse the logic I was using for whether or not to start Starling Marte. In the kind of leagues where Marte's worth stashing, you could maybe think about stashing one of these players, too. Um, Lewis Brinson is another one who I think, if the list extended beyond five, he'd be about at that same point. Brewers outfielder. But um, not not a lot of noise surrounding these guys right now, surrounding any prospect. Okay. The one prospect that you think could have the biggest fantasy impact uh, in the second half of the season, let's say, could come up and be... Uh, a Wilson Contreras or a Schwarber or somebody who just changes a season for you, who would it be? I'd still have to say Moncada just because the skill set's so diverse and the upside's so high. and They pretty much cleared out second base for him, so it, it seems inevitable it's going to happen. I think it's just a matter of cutting down his strike on his strikeouts at AAA. Uh, he, would, he would still be my top choice. I know it's kind of a boring choice. Bellinger might be... Um, just to use a name that maybe we haven't discussed as much. You know, Andrew Tolles in left field, he hasn't really made much of an impact, and Adrian Gonzalez is clearly he's showing his age. 
So between one of those spots, if Bellinger is hot start at AAA continues, he's a he's a big time power hitter with with good plate discipline and has actually been running a lot at AAA. So I don't know that I count on that in the majors, but he's uh he's somebody who could make the kind of impact you're talking about. All right, still to come on the show, the Thames Watch will be back, the Legitometer, the Dropometer. Talk about a couple of twins outfielders. Austin Hedges is heating up a little bit. Jeez, Chris Sale. Let me just tell you right now, Chris Sale threw 102 pitches yesterday. 80 of them were strikes. He <laughs> was ridiculous yesterday. Um, Matt Shoemaker had a good start. Daniel Norris did not. I, I think he got slightly unlucky. And um, we will give you some week four two-start pitchers to pick up and hopefully read a bunch of your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Uh, let's do the news real quick. Jason Kipnis will be back today. Jed Jerko is 53% owned, guys. He is, uh, according to the St. Louis Dispatch, he is supposed to dispatch. St. Louis is starting third baseman. Uh, Heath, what do you make of this? And Jerko, yet last year, he had, um, he had 30 home runs. He had 243 with 30 home runs. So, Jerko's 53% owned. He's gonna be third base and second base eligible, Heath. Any excitement to pick him up? I think he's a little bit under-owned. And we underestimate his value as a utility type guy in a roto league. He's he's going to start playing a lot more now that right. Peralta's no, I don't deal. mean utility for the Cardinals. I mean utility right. for your fantasy. Team. Right. No, I just wanted to say that for the, he's already second base and third base eligible. He's already shortstop eligible, and now he's going to play every day. Right. So, so yeah, I think he's underrated. I just don't know. It's going to be hard to get his ownership up too high because he doesn't have any place in a points league. Uh, would you drop Devin Travis for Jed Jerko? Uh, I don't I w- think so. No, I no. Maybe in a roto, I'd think about it, but He's only if I had guy. an immediate need for for production, instant production. <laughs> Jerko hit 19 home runs in a 44 game stretch last year, so he's a streaky guy. Uh, this is actually pretty big here. Yoenis Cespedes has a hamstring injury. He had leg injuries last year. He says he's going to miss a few games, but. It could definitely be worse than that. So they already had Conforto starting in center field last year with Jay Bruce at first base um, with Duda kind of day-to-day. Actually, they don't know the extent of Duda's injury yet. Uh, Jay Bruce made a bad play, though. He showed some inexperience. So you don't, they don't want to do that. But if Cespedes is out, Conforto's like 40% owned. Go get him. Yeah. Do it. He also made a diving catch in center field, did a nice job. David Wright is on the 60-day DL now with a neck injury. So if you're owning Reyes, uh, you got some more time for him to turn things around. He's getting a little better. Uh, David stole a base Price yesterday stole a base. Yeah, David Price elbow soreness. Uh, Xander Bogarts jammed his thumb. He's going to have that evaluated. Oh, the reverse jinx is back. It's alive and well. We said Mookie <laughs> Betts hadn't stolen any bases, hadn't even attempted one, and he stole two yesterday. And Mitch Moreland hit his eleventh double. Guys, OMG! <laughs> it's a lot of doubles. It is. It's a lot. Uh, a couple of, of slumps. Michael Franco snapped an 0 for 22 skid with a home run, and Jose Peraza is one for his last 29. But now he is the number 10 shortstop in points leagues and number 15 in roto. Uh, Hernan Perez one game away from being shortstop eligible, if that matters. Trey Turner going to be activated today, but he won't start. Daniel Murphy sat with a leg issue, which is worth watching because Murphy uh, le- had leg issues last year. Paul Monitor, which is my phone's way of saying Paul Molitor, says he's not at the point of demoting Byron Buxton. 
Chris Tillman's going to make a rehab start this weekend. And Heath, there was a graphic in the Seattle-Oakland game yesterday on the A's broadcast that you would have loved. We all loved it, I'm sure, if we saw it. Um, it was about how the Mariners have the longest postseason drought. And the graphic was, and the broadcaster even did an impression, it was, well, we're waiting. Very nice. Yes. It was a Caddyshack reference about the Mariners' postseason drought. And I thought you'd like that. Let's do, do the like Thames. I do like it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Good. Let's do the Thames watch. Today's Thames watch. Eric Thames went two for four with a home run, two RBIs, and a strikeout against St. Louis. He is batting 415 and slugging 981 with eight home runs. I've got a Thames team name I want to try out on you. Okay. Thames Dong, different day. Mm, not in love with it. No. What about Famous Amos? The Dong remains the Thames? <laughs> nah, I do. I don't think so. Okay. That was, like, that was pretty good. I'll keep I like, I like the second one. Thanks. Famous Amos, mine. Yeah, thank you. Famous sure. Amos, no. <laughs> Any reaction to Eric Thames' eighth home run? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it would... Jaws were dropped. Yes. There were, um, I wrote in the trade chart about selling Eric Thames. We had some tweets about should I sell him for this deal or this deal, and we almost universally said yes on Twitter. And then, of course, he hits the home run last night, and people are like, we shouldn't sell Eric Thames. He, I'm still trading him for anything better than, like, top ten first base value. Yeah. Well, I did a little exercise yesterday, and I don't mean physical exercise. We know that's not really my thing. But <laughs> I did a podcasting exercise, and – I looked at my notes. Today's April 21st. I looked at my notes, um, our show notes from April 20th, 2016, just to see the kinds of starts that guys were getting off to and what we were talking about, what was topical a year ago today or a year ago yesterday. Bryce Harper was batting 333 with seven home runs, five homers in his last six games, and Mike Trout was batting 220 with one home run. We did a, a Trout versus Harper argument. Yeah, so Trout got off to a terrible start. Harper was great, and things obviously changed. Then I had a segment called Reality Check, where Vince Velasquez had a bad start against the Mets coming off his uh 16-strikeout complete game against San Diego. And actually, Velasquez's first start of the season was against the Mets, and it was also very good. And I don't know if you remember this. Jaime Garcia was in the Reality Check segment because he had a bad start, you know, kind of bad. Five innings, two runs, four walks, seven strikeouts against the Cubs. And his previous start was a 13-strikeout complete game one-hitter against Milwaukee. Uh, <laughs> then we did the standouts. Drew Smiley threw eight shutout innings with 11 strikeouts at Boston. Uh, Matt Latos had a .49 ERA and was 3-0 and at that point. Um, Robbie Ray was in there. Jared Saltalamacchia was killing it. He was batting 300 with five home runs. So just just to show you, last this time last year, what was trending, what we were talking about after after a you know a day's a day's worth of baseball games. Weird things, yeah, are happening. So right. <laughs> I got my. Exercise. I've got some breaking news. Yeah, go what? ahead. The what? Royals are calling up Jorge Bonifacio. Oh, that is. <laughs> So significant. Get out of here. Thank you for that interjection. It's breaking news. And it it's it's breaking. So would you rather have Hanley Ramirez or Eric Thames? I've moved Thames one spot ahead of Ramirez, but I view them as the same. That might be the cutoff. Like 
ahead of Ramirez, but then you get into Abreu, Chris Davis, and that's that's where it's it's still tough to pass that up. Now, if you're really selling high on Thames, you may be able to give him up for one of those and something else, you know? Yeah. Um, I like, don't know like, that you have to settle for Abreu straight up. You would sell Eric Thames for Carlos Martinez? Um, yes. Yep. Yes. I think, I was trying to think if context would make a difference there. I'm not sure it does. Uh, uh yeah. with context, if Billy Hamilton is available for Thames and you're bad at steals and decent on power, you trade him for Hamilton? I don't think so. See, I think I would. Okay. Okay, but I love that Thames is like, he's got serious pop and he's hitting it to all fields. I mean, he's, he's killing it right now. I, I just, I don't want to make it sound like I think he's bad or he's not going to be good this year or anything, but I do think there is a point probably in the next few weeks where there is an adjustment made by the league and he struggles for a little bit and then does he figure that adjustment out? Well, I, just the other side of that is like, what could the ultimate upside be for Thames, and what is the ultimate upside of the player you're getting? Right, that's true. And that's why, like, it's one thing to say I rank Jose Abreu ahead of Thames. Maybe Abreu isn't the best example to use, but, um, you know, certainly with Hamilton, there are clear limitations for Hamilton. I mean, Thames, if Thames is in the MVP conversation at the end of the year, would, at this point, would that surprise anybody? Yes. Yes. It would surprise yes. you? Yeah, it would. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, well, that has been today's Thames Watch for Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Adam Azer. Now, guys, listen up. You don't want to be the guy that dresses poorly. You need to get yourself the best suit you'll ever buy. You need to look good. It's important. And you need to save hundreds of dollars while doing it. Hundreds. That's with Indochino and our promo code. I'll tell you about that. Indochino.com. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Use our promo code FBT at checkout to get 50% off the regular price of a made-to-measure premium suit. That means you can get a custom-made, beautiful, perfectly fitting suit for $389. And that's seriously a great deal. It's not a lot to spend on a custom suit. So here's what you do. Either visit a showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. Pick your fabric, choose your customizations, lapels, pleats, jacket linings, and a lot more. Submit your measurements, place your order, and wait for it to arrive in, to arrive in just a few weeks. Use the code FBT for 50% off. 50% off. Guys, I've got an Indochino suit. I'm telling you, it's worth it. I absolutely love it. The promo code FBT at Indochino.com for 50% off a made-to-measure suit. Let's do the Legitometer. Lance McCuller, I'll give you a couple of easy ones. Lance McCullers and James Paxton on the legitimator. Uh, zero is they are not good. This will not stand. This will not last. Ten is where I'm expecting great production rest of season. Zero to ten for McCullers and Paxton. Ten. I will go. I will go seven for McCullers, but I'll go nine for Paxton. Okay. Uh, and and it's mostly because of durability concerns for McCullers. I think those are. Uh, I don't want to understate those. Gotcha. Irvin Santana, another good start. He did walk three, but six innings, one run against Cleveland. He's got a .64 ERA. Uh, Irvin Santana on the legitometer. I will go four. Um, and I go that high because I don't know that he'll ever put him. I, I don't know that he'll ever slump badly enough that you feel like you have to drop him. Like, I, would five be I plan on starting him most weeks and I don't think I'll drop him? Sure. 
I'll say five. Okay. Uh, that's Irvin Santana. Let's do some comps. Irvin Santana or Rich Hill. Would you trade Irvin Santana for Rich Hill? No. I mean, yes. I want Rich Hill. Sorry. Oh, okay. I'm not sure I would do that in a points league. Would you do Irvin Santana for Robbie Ray? I would rather have Ray. Me too. Sorry I have to phrase it that way. That's fine. It makes my, It works better. It's easier on my mind than the yes or no. How about a couple of pitchers who competed against each other last night and are off to good starts, especially the one in Baltimore? Wade Miley, 16% owned, 11 strikeouts last night. Like, gosh, he's 24Ks in 19 innings. And uh, Scott Feldman for the Reds. Z- uh, legitimeter, 0-10 to 10 for Miley and Feldman. Well, for Feldman, I'll go like a 1. I just don't have any interest in him at all. Miley... I mean, he now has a two-hit start, this one, and a one-hit start. Um, and two starts where the strikeouts have been really high, obviously 11 in this one, raises an eyebrow. Um, and I was trying to figure out what's different for him. And uh, I noticed a comment from his catcher. Um, yeah, they're pairing him with Caleb Joseph. Caleb Joseph right. and Wade Miley have good chemistry. And it was Showalter and Joseph and Miley were talking about his fastball command being the key to his success. But what did you pick up on for Wade Miley? Well, Miley and Joseph and Showalter, they were all talking about how he has the ability to work the fastball inside the count and inside the zone and outside, or in the inner part of the plate, outer part of the plate, move the fastball all around. They they acted like that was a big deal. I didn't really know what that meant. But this this really caught my attention from Joseph. I feel like Wade has some weapons that he may not have explored in some time yeah i saw that too i'm sorry like there's enough of a track record of wade miley here but well look at the track record because in 2012 and 2013 he was a legitimate fantasy asset he was second in nl rookie of the year voting in 2012 had like a mid three zra for the diamondbacks the strikeout rate wasn't very good but then the next year the strikeout rate was like 8.2 per nine era rose and then thereafter he was kind of a nothing but like he's been a guy that you want to start in good ballparks in in big parks, right? Wade Miley, but he's not been a guy that you. He's a streamer, a matchup streamer. Probably, I mean, probably. We're look, we're. It's easy to take an optimistic stance when he's only sixteen percent owned. If he was eighty six percent owned, I, I, you know, I I might be addressing this very differently. Did we All get right. a number on Miley? Legitimeter. Um, well, I, well, what's your number? Two point one. I'll go three. All right, look. so maybe that puts it into context better. I just I don't think you should just outright ignore this. And That's zero on Feldman for me. Yeah, all right. So Wade Miley, sixteen percent owned, might be worth taking a shot on in a deeper league. Um, sure. let's do some hitters. Ryan Zimmerman, seventy-one percent owned, another home run. Maybe I was dead wrong about him. I am willing to admit that. It, at the very least, I know he needs to be owned in more than seventy-one percent of leagues. Ryan Zimmerman on the legitometer, Heath, four point nine. Scott, I'll go six. Okay. A lot of injuries over the years. Like the last three years, he had six, five or six significant injuries. I listed them all in yesterday's waiver wire. Jake Lamb, top eight third baseman right now, fifth in Roto, eighth in points. Jake Lamb, legitometer. Um, I'll say six to him also. 6.1. Who would you rather own, Zimmerman or, or Jake Lamb in, you know, just a utility? Lamb. I think I'd rather own Zimmerman. Okay. 
Jake Lamb's batting 300. He has eight walks to 22 strikeouts. Same amount of walks and strikeouts as Joey Gallo, who's batting 188. So, <laughs> you yeah, know. and we talk about how bad, how bad his strikeouts are all the time. Mm-hmm. So, not not a good, not an encouraging sign for Lamb. I do like Lamb, but th- that's a little little worrisome. Um, Steven Souza, again, I might have been dead wrong about this, Heath. I might have to apologize to you. Steven Souza said he put too much pressure on himself, and uh, now he's just kind of letting it letting it fly. He's 61% owned. Legitometer, Heath, on Steven Souza. Uh, seven. I'm not apologizing for anything <laughs> with Souza. I'm going to go four. And remember how, like, a couple weeks ago we were like, wow, he only has two strikeouts. Uh, in his last 34 bats, he has 15 strikeouts. Mm. So He's somehow, 25% for the year. Uh, somehow managed to get a lot of extra base hits during that stretch, but there are, there are going to be some dark days ahead. Alright, Travis Shaw on the legitimeter. I'm always just wary because, like, first 39 games last year, Shaw had a 329 batting average, six homers, and 13 doubles. This year, he's, uh, he's got five home runs now and seven doubles in 16 games. Um, it wasn't Miller Park, Adam. No, it, it wasn't Miller Park. Wait, yes, it was. Last night was. Yeah, last night was. No, I'm saying last year wasn't. Oh, Miller Park. oh, oh. You can't yes. compare this to last year. <laughs> yeah, he was in that that Fenway Park where he wasn't. In, he wasn't in as good a lineup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so Travis Shaw, legitometer. Eleven D. Eleven D. Eleven D. I've never heard that. Uh... Anybody say 11D before? Okay. Um, Shaw for me is a seven. I'm going to say this is how I valued Shaw. I picked up Shaw this morning and I dropped Keon Broxton. Obviously easy decision, but I didn't use a way he was dropped, but probably before this three homer and three, three homers and three game stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't use a waiver claim on him. I waited for him to be a free agent. I took the gamble that nobody was going to claim him, and it worked. Big gamble. Yeah, it worked. Unnecessary gamble. I, I feel like people are too protective of their waiver priority. I see people drop really good players in this league. This is the same league as last year. Last year, dumb owners are dropping really good players. But aren't, aren't a lot of transactions happening every day? I mean, doesn't waiver wire no, turn No, we a have lot? a 75, uh, Transaction limit, so okay. three, three right. per week. So I guess different circumstances. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, right. And finally, yeah, the- I, I'm kicking myself for leaving Shaw unoccupied during that middle stretch where he was, he went cold because now it's like getting excited about him all over again. Yeah. Well, he's a streaky guy. Uh, shortstop Taylor Motter for Seattle. I know Segura's coming back, but it, legitimeter on him and whether or not Taylor Motter could could be relevant even with Segura back. Zero. Yeah, relevant when he comes back. It may be in an AL only sense. He may he may have earned since he can play everywhere a bigger share of playing time just in, in like a super utility role, but I don't think it'll be consistent enough for mixed leaguers. So I'll say two. All right, that's Taylor Motter. I'm gonna skip around a little bit. Let's talk about Austin Hedges, who's 29% owned. Heath Hedges has uh, three homers and three multi-hit games in his last five games. Should we be looking to add Austin Hedges? This problem is, is he's caught in this area where he should already be owned in any two catcher league, and I'm not ready to move him into the one catcher range yet. So, I if I had a questionable catcher, Russell Martin, Russell Martin, and I had an available bench spot, 
then I would add Hedges. I'm not ready to drop Martin for Hedges yet. Though. I, I hate the idea of owning two catchers. I know you one do. One catcher league. Like, I know you I do. Just, but, but, and, you, and you see it in the ownership percentage breakdown at the position. It's like there's a bunch of catchers owned in 80% or more, and then there's a bunch of catchers owned in 30% or less. Like, right. I, I'm not saying that that's a, a strategy I generally subscribe to. Right. But if Hedges put everything together, he could be a top seven or eight catcher. I sure. want to see him do but, something at home. Hedges has one extra base hit at home so far this year. But yeah, I mean, that, look, six games. Yeah, yeah, it's eighteen at bats. Yeah. You don't have to own a own two catchers at the same time for long. Maybe you just do it for three, four days, a week, whatever. See what happens. Um, would you drop drop Yadier Molina for Austin Hedges? No, no. Okay. Um, let's see other things from yesterday. Uh, Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, you know. Nah, he's got 450 ERA, six walks, 15 strikeouts. Just hasn't been great this year. What are we thinking? It was disappointing. I'm not. I've not changed my opinion at all on him. Yeah, jury's still out. Uh, the walks were the most disappointing part because he had a combined two in his first two starts, and it's like, oh, he's back. But then, yeah, I I need to see more. I wonder because Nola is somebody that lives on the edge of the strike zone and gets so many called strikes. If he is a little bit more susceptible to the umpire behind the plate on a given night. Good chance. Maybe. So, uh, with these next three pitchers, tell me if you think they are long-term plays or just streamers. Matt Shoemaker, Daniel Norris, Patrick Corbin. Shoemaker is the best still, and he's the most owned. Uh, back-to-back, seven strikeout efforts. I'm still not sure how he how he's going to fare in terms of strikeouts, and that'll make the difference whether or not he's streamable or just somebody you start even in the one-star weeks. Norris, I think, has a lot of proving to do. And Corbin, the only reason I'm really interested in him right now is the relief pitcher eligibility. He does have a pretty good two-star week coming up. So yeah. maybe you stream him in that sense, but I'm not, I'm not really interested in him beyond that. All right, and in deeper leagues... Would you be interested in picking any of these guys up in a 14-team league or deeper? Clayton Richard, R.A. Dickey, Andrew Kashner, Erasmo Ramirez. Clayton Richard, R.A. Dickey, Kashner, Ramirez, Heath. You know, Kashner's not been good yet, but I would probably have the most interest in him just because we've seen in the past that he can be. So if I in a 14 or a 16-team league, I wouldn't pick him up and start him right away, but I, I might pick him up and just hold him for a start or two and see if he shows signs of improving. I have really failing the listeners here. Not going to have as much time for the mailbag as we thought. So (laughs) I feel bad. I mean, you know, you could put it another way. Like, unless somebody's getting their own direct question answered. Like, do people really want to listen to other people's questions get answered that much? Well, I usually pick questions that I feel could help a lot of people. All right. We're just eating at the time more now. Sorry. Well, you know, like I said, I like the listeners. Should we talk some more about Jorge Bonifacio? (laughs) I actually got a, I just got a tweet from Chris. Uh, not sure is if this is worth mentioning on the pod, and he or not a tweet. I, I, I am from Chris, and he linked to a tweet about Jorge Bonifacio being called up. Yeah, I could just give you three sentences from Royals review. He's a 23 year old that was hitting 304, 385, 587 for Omaha last year. As a 22 year old in AAA, he had an 800 OPS. Would you He's rather been have, a top prospect before? He's been a prospect for so long. Uh, because it's more it than three like sentences. 17. More than three sentences. Would you rather have Jorge Bonifacio or Trey Mancini? Mancini. Mm. Not a, not a doubt. 
I what is what has Bonifacio done to deserve? Well, he's he on the Royals. Anything he plays for the exactly. Royals. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's Mancini. Okay. <laughs> uh, the dropo meter zero to ten. Ten is a must drop right now. Jose Bautista. One. Yeah, one. Alex Cobb, sixty-eight percent owned. Um, four uh, on the most drop list. I think four. it's a little premature, but you guys say four. Yeah, which, which means, means I'm probably not dropping him. Right. He's just kind of on the fringes. Joe Musgrove, fifty percent. Five. Seven. Manuel or Man Manuel Margot, three for twenty-five in his last seven games with no extra base hits. Four point nine. Like a three and a half, a little less than Cobb, but it's not unthinkable. Javier Baez. Um, I would give that like uh probably like a four. I think Baez is a tough one because of Scott's um, do I drop them mindset. Like I, if we were totally talking about Javier Baez's playing time and performance, I might put him at like an eight, but. He's getting picked back up, probably almost immediately. Yeah, but it's all, gonna, it's, it's all hype. That? It's all hype. It's like he, the guy hasn't oh, hit. I know. He has not hit at all. He, did you see that no-look tag, though? <laughs> I saw the no-look tag. I don't know. Baez is 76% owned. I, I you feel know like... what? I, yeah, four is underdoing it. Um, I'm actually going to give him like a seven on the drop-a-meter. Because I don't really care if somebody picks him up. Like, and I, I, and I'm not even sure it's that obvious that he will. I mean, the 76% ownership, if somebody happens to know that, maybe they do. But the idea is if it's a fringy player to begin with and he's not pr- producing. Nobody besides us viewed him as a fringy player. He was drafted like the 11th or 12th round. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were, we were saying, you especially were saying that Javier Baez was getting drafted way too early. Would you drop Peraza? No, Peraza. Everybody thought he was better than Peraza before the season, except for us. So I think it, everybody's going to still try. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but they're all they're all like wrong for thinking that. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, they are. But I just I was just talking about the perception of why I think he'd get picked up. I'll say he's a six. All right, and uh, let's do let's do team name Tuesday on a Friday, and then some two star pitchers for you. Uh, just a few team name Tuesdays on a Friday. This is from Vince. Oh, I have have a couple of rap themes from Vince. Dr. Trey. Okay. Okay. He needs a doctor right now. Mm -hmm. And from Chris. Ain't nothing but an E-Thames, baby. Um, I don't think I know that reference. Ain't nothing but a G-Thing, baby. Ain't nothing but an E-Thames, baby. We got one. (laughs) Shaw Thames Redemption? Nope. No. No. Uh, Thames is not anything like Shank. I think Redemption's better than that. Yeah, I agree. The only thing like, is they're both you, getting their redemption. I'm noticing, and I, I may have been guilty of this in the past, but cramming too many names into a team name just seems to drag it down. Yeah. It, it has to, it has to sound good mm-hmm. above all else. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And last one, uh, we have Better Call Solarte. <laughs> Tremendous. I, I think Better Call Paul if you're a Goldschmidt owner would be better. Oh, may, fine. It's from Dan, and I think it's tremendous. Great episode last night. All right, let's take a look at two-star pitchers for the upcoming scoring period for already Fantasy Week 4. Any favorites that uh, jump out at you that are available? There are a lot this week after there were very few last week. Um, I usually use 80% as the cutoff of ones who are worth mentioning. And obviously, they may not be owned in your league, but 
a lot of people, they will be unowned. And the top two, I think, are Vargas, who actually has great matchups against the White Sox and the Twins. Um, so I think he's worth starting anywhere, the kind of start he's off to, even if I have concerns in the long run. And then Francisco Liriano gets the Angels and the Rays. Um, if you could pick up either, I'd prioritize Liriano because I think he should probably be owned anyway. But uh, Vargas has even better matchups. And then you go further down. I mean, Gazelman, um, Atlanta, and then at Washington. So only one good matchup, but I think he's he needs to be owned anyway. I mentioned Patrick Corbin. One of his two matchups is against San Diego. So uh, he's a decent option, and he's 42% owned. Wei and Chen, he's at Philadelphia, and then against Pittsburgh, he's only 24% owned. Mm. If Particularly in a points league where strikeouts aren't a big deal, I think he's a good choice. And then even Wade Miley, just for the fact that one of his two matchups is against the Rays, who strike out a ton, might be able to build off that 11 strikeout performance. And he's, like you said earlier, 16% owned. What about Clayton Richard at Arizona at San Francisco? Um, maybe in a points league, but like, even when he's good, he has a high whip. Like, even yesterday, he gave up nine hits. You know, right, it's right. just the, the extreme ground baller. Unless you're Dallas Keuchel, that's always going to be an affliction for them. Wow. Deep sleeper, Matt Kane, Dodgers and Padres at home. No. I think I picked him up in a league. Really? I can't remember what league it was. You know, he's throwing two miles per hour less. Than he did the previous two yeah. years when he had an ERA near six. Yeah, Jason Vargas and Matt Kane. The new thing is to throw slow. Kane's gonna get just obliterated. Um, how about not necessarily next week, but eventually. Uh, Miguel Gonzalez, Kansas City, and at Detroit. No, with the Royals calling up uh, Bonifacio, I don't <laughs> think they'll be quite as good a matchup. This isn't bad. I like Gonzalez. Um, I may even. He's kind of on equal terms with Wade Miley in terms of. Uh, Sleep ability for this week. We got you like that. Yeah, sleep like ability. That. I've never said that before. It's kind of <laughs> like a levity. Chad Cool, uh, Cubs at home at Miami. Remember, he was terrible against the Cubs last year. Not cool, dude. Yeah, I don't think I'd start him. Yeah, it's tough. I'm even hesitant about Gazelman with Atlanta and then at Washington. I'm telling you, man. Everywhere I'm seeing Gazelman dropped, that is an immediate ad. Same for me. here. But I'm just a little nervous about it. Um, Jordan Zimmerman is 70% owned. I'm not Seattle and the White Sox. I just can't. I can't do it. Um, Joe Ross has a start at Colorado and home against the Mets. You got to sit Joe Ross? I don't think you have to, but yeah, I, I didn't, he is less than 80% owned. I didn't mention him as a sleeper for that reason at Colorado. It's always very dangerous. And then last one I want to talk about, I think you start him as a relief pitcher, but do you start Luis Severino at Boston and home against Baltimore? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, okay. I think, uh, I think we're done here. Steven Strasburg at Colorado and home against the Mets. Start or sit? Start. Yes. All right. Let's read some emails. Okay, this is from Mark. Mark says, hey, Splinter, Yoda, and Chief. Who's Chief? Who's Master Chief? I don't know. But Master Splinter, Master Yoda. They are, uh, um, you know, they, they teach, they teach the way of whatever. The way. Oh, Master Chief is, uh, from Halo. From Halo. Okay. 
Please help me understand the Rizzo eligibility dilemma. If this were football and Julio Jones lined up on, on the line for a play, does he start accruing tight end eligibility? If a wide receiver receives a lateral, which counts as a rush, he's not a running back for that game. Why is eligibility <laughs> for an entire game determined on one play? If an official game counts as five innings, why can't we make that the cutoff uh, for eligibility? Eligibility works completely differently in football. It works completely differently in basketball. Like baseball is the one sport where there's it's clear what position the player is playing. So it's and you it, get to change position. Like football, it's clear. It's just nobody's changing positions. Right. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. Unless you're Ty Montgomery, but but yeah. Um, but it's so, like there is a point, and and the you know the the guy that you were going back and forth with on Twitter, Scott said like as the commissioner, just don't let your league make Rizzo a second baseman. But where do you where you you open that door and like where do you draw the line? Yeah, that's you know? a good question. I, I mean, if if I remember one year, and there's probably a more recent example than this, but some blowout, the White Sox stuck Jermaine Die at shortstop for an inning, and you know. There are some leagues out there with one-game eligibility rules. Oh, I'm not going to allow your main die to be shortstop eligible because that was clearly just a circus maneuver, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know... There's a point there. If MLB says he played that position, he played that position, and it should count to whatever rules your league sets up. Yeah, all right. Uh, and you know what? You, as the as the commissioner, you can make your own decisions about it. By the way, just got an email uh, seven minutes ago uh, one of my trade offers was rejected, so so there you go. I offered Francisco Liriano for Kyle Hendricks, and it got rejected. You are so ridiculous. I, you know what? We were talked about it yesterday. People were panicking about Kyle Hendricks. I gave it a shot. Didn't work. Um, Brian Kennedy. I think I bought low on Carlos Correa. Ten team points league. I traded Dallas Keuchel and Gene Segura for Carlos Correa and Rich Hill. I hate it. No, I'd give it a uh, B minus. It's a win, but not a big win. It's yeah, not a win. it comes out ahead. I I agree with Heath. Like it's not, it's not buy like it's not a classic buy low case because I think you bought kind of even. Uh, maybe sold high a little with Keiko. Uh, this is from Evan. Evan just wants to vent about how he dropped Mitch Haniger for Delino to Shields before the season started. We've all been there, my man. We've all been there. In fact, last year, I was looking at some transactions from last year. I was smart enough to pick up Rich Hill early in the season last year in our auction roto league. And then I was dumb enough to drop him like two weeks later, and Scott picked him up and had him for the rest of the season. So. Yeah, I did that to you in, in R.A. Dickey Cy Young season. You too, did? Right? Wow, i got to <laughs> stop dropping pitchers. <laughs> uh, grade the trade from Matt in Spokane. Points keeper, keeper league. Give up Miguel Sano. Get Jose Abreu. I like it. It's uh C plus. Uh B, B minus. C. Alright. This is from Chris in Marathon, New York. Hey, Mark, James, and Luke. Hmm. Um like Well they're all it. books of the Bible. I don't I don't know if there's some other angle. Uh, maybe that I'm is what it here. is. Okay. Well, we're gonna say Bible. Uh pick three outfielders in a head to head categories league. Margot, Piscotti, Duval, Bautista, Souza, Reddick, Fowler. Who can we eliminate for the sake of the listeners? Who can we eliminate? Margot? 
Well, I, I know who the three are. They're Piscotti, Duval, Bautista. All right, I wanted to read it again for the listeners, but fine. Okay, so I'm eliminating, in this order, worst to best, Reddick, Souza, Margot, and Fowler. So you'd rather I would have... rather have Fowler than Duval. Okay. All right, Piscotti and Bautista are the ones you're keeping, Chris, and then Scott says Duval, he says Fowler. Steve S., dear Julian, Ricky, and Bubbles. Trailer Park Boys. Should I drop Javier Baez for Jed Jerko in a 12-team OPS Roto League? Yes. Nah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you need to use him now, maybe you hold on to Baez for upside if it's just a bench spot. Tyler right. from Minneapolis is in a 14-team points league with corner infield and middle infield and only two bench spots. Uh, is Yoan Moncada only two bench spots worth holding on to as a late-season golden ticket? No. Not with two bench spots. No, it's too, it's too, uh, hard to predict. Okay. From Sean, 15 team roto, 33 man roster, woo, OBP league instead of batting average. Um, what do the rest of season rankings look like for Brandon Moss, Curtis Granderson, and Robbie Grossman? Should I drop any of them, Moss, Granderson, and Grossman, for Jorge Soler? I would lean toward dropping Grossman for Solaire. Yep. Really? I was, uh, I thought you might say Moss for Solaire. I mean, Moss and Solaire are the two worst OBP guys of these four, so, and I mean, Grossman was a pretty good OBP guy last year too, so it's not, Moss would probably be my second least favorite of the four, yes. It's just, how much do you need home runs? Because that's basically all he's going to provide, assuming he, is gets hot at some point. Evan wants to know, Evan from St. Louis wants to know what you expect from J.D. Martinez rest of season. Heath Cummings. I expect J.D. Martinez to be fairly similar to what J.D. Martinez has been over the last couple of years. So I think he'll be a top 15 outfielder from the time he returns until the end of the season. And do you think that there is a that we should worry about the foot injury recurring for J.D. Martinez or are we just done with that? It's it, a it's it a factor. Yeah, it's 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 the kind of injury that you think it's gone and then it comes back. So if you know, I think the ideal approach to JD Martinez is you hope he comes back, you hope he gets to a hot start, and then you hope you sell him for face value, just so you can kind of rid yourself of that risk. Okay. Uh, two more real quick. Grade the trade from Greg. Twelve team points league. Give up Cindergard and Travis Shaw. Syndergaard and Shaw get Scherzer. F. Can't trade Travis Shaw. <laughs> In all seriousness, I would say it's a C. Yes. Yeah, Saul, Shaw is just enough, I think, upgrading Syndergaard to Scherzer. That makes sense. And from Sean, grade the trade in a 6x6 Roto League. Give up Karis Davis and Felix Hernandez. Karis Davis and Felix Hernandez get Kershaw! That is an A. Yeah, that's almost an A+. Plus. No, that's almost. an A. Solid A. I'd give it an A+. Plus. Thank you all for your emails. Thank you all for listening. Have yourselves a great weekend. And I have run out of things to say, believe it or not. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Get us out of here before you ruin it.